Thank you, praise team. Uh, my name is Rick Swing. I'm the executive pastor here at Westwood, and um, I know that uh, Kenneth has been going at it since January, so we wanted to give him just a short break, and so I get the opportunity this morning to, to preach, and I'm so excited about doing that. Uh, just the other day, I, I was on the phone with my Uncle Paul up in Valparaiso, Indiana, and uh, you know, moms are going to be moms no matter what, and my mom found out that I was preaching today, and so she has told all my family all over the world, wherever that may be, that uh, I, was, I was preaching today. So I just want to welcome all my family from Texas to Florida to Indiana. Uh, thank you for joining Westwood today. We're excited about having you along with everybody else. Thank you for being here. Thank you for our praise team. They do such a wonderful job all the time. And uh, we're, we're just grateful to have them. So today I want you to relax. It's, I'm coming in your living room. It'll be a little bit different from Pastor Kenneth. Uh, but I'm excited about that as well. I want to move this just a little bit. Thank you. Today's sermon is going to be in uh, the book of John, chapter 20, so you can kind of go there. But before I preach this morning, I just want to share a little bit about some things that I have learned during this quarantine period. Things I've learned during this quarantine period. Here's number one. Now, if this is funny, you can laugh at home. I don't know if it's funny or not, to be honest with you. It's kind of strange. We don't have anybody in a room. Um, so if it's funny, you laugh at home. Number, number one, top 10 things I've learned during this quarantine. Number one, I am sick of painting all the door frames in my house. Sick of it. Um, I didn't know I had so many door frames for one, and I didn't know how hard it was going to be to paint those things, but I'm sick of that. Number two, I had no idea how much I loved Home Depot. No idea, but I'm there almost every day. Number three, there's just so many times I can lose a card game to my wife. I've learned that during this quarantine. Once that's done, I'm done. Number four, why in the world would I be so excited to watch Derek Tezuka out of North Dakota State go as the 254th pick in the NFL draft? No idea, other than I'm starved for sports. Um, number five, there are times that I have to give up the remote to keep the peace in my home. Guys, this is free of charge. Give up that remote every now and then to your wife. Number six, it's really hard finding new words so that Linda and I can have longer conversations. We're around each other so much during the day that we kind of use up all of our words. So then we find out now, like we're, like we're in the car and we're driving around and it's just dead silence. I'm like going, I don't have anything more to say. I'm like, done. It's done. Number seven, people are really crazy and they're really good during this time, and that is so true. Number eight, not all toilet paper is created equal. I want you to know I found out the hard way. I am so grateful for Charmin and the Puff Daddy stuff that we get. I don't even know what it is, but it's so good. And when we didn't have that, let me tell you, our household wasn't the same. Number nine, teachers and healthcare workers are way, way underpaid. I have found that out during this quarantine period. And number 10, we truly miss seeing all of our friends. We truly miss seeing you here in this place as part of the body of Christ. Those are my top 10. And what I'd like to say as well is, you know, a special thank you to all of those in our healthcare world. We have many in our church who serve as nurses, and um, some of those are actually on the front lines. Uh, we have one in our church named Jennifer Daniel. Um, her husband, Ralph, I've roomed with him on several mission trips 
They have three kids. Jennifer uh, volunteered to go up to the New York area, I think the, the Bronx, and she's on the front lines up there. And if you read her Facebook post, she'll tell you that it's kind of like a war zone up there, something that she's never experienced before. So we need to remember to lift up Jennifer during this time and her family and all those who serve in this capacity. Thank you for doing all that. Now turn in your Bible to John chapter 20. I'm going to be reading out of the Christian Standard Bible version. Um, so if you're in the NIV or maybe the old King James, uh, it will sound a little bit different. But let's read starting in chapter 20. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Let me just set the stage. So this is the time that Jesus um, had died on the cross and he was buried. And this is the time of his resurrection. Now you may be thinking, okay, Rick, why are you going to be preaching about this? Well, you know, we often during the Easter time, and we're not too far from Easter, we'll, we'll, we'll hear about the crucifixion of Jesus and why he went to the cross. And we're so grateful for that because that's the foundation of our salvation is that he shed his blood for us. And then on Easter Sunday, we'll hear about the resurrection of Jesus. Well, I began to think, I started to think myself, why in the world would the Savior of the world, who has accomplished everything he came to do, to take our sins to the cross, to die, be buried in a tomb, and to be raised on that third day, why in the world would Jesus then decide to stick around for 40 days? Why would he stick around for 40 days and hang out with the disciples a few times along the way and hang out with about 500 folks along the way? He was seen by at least 500. Why would Jesus do that? And that's what compelled me today to preach a sermon about what happened in those 40 days. Why did Jesus hang out for those 40 days? We're going to see here in a minute why he did that. So John chapter 20, I'll read verses 1 through 8. This is what it says. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. So let me just make sure we understand this first day of the week, that is actually Sunday morning, and it was still dark when she went to the, to the tomb. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So here's Mary, she goes to the tomb, and when she gets there, she finds this stone that's been rolled away. And immediately she goes to find those that, in her heart, she knew this was the, kind of the authority, if you will, Simon Peter, and in this case, John. And he, she tells them that the stone has been removed and that they've taken the, the Lord out of the tomb. Verse 3, at that, Peter and the other disciple, meaning John, went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter came also. He entered the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the other linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first then entered the tomb. It says he saw and believed. So here's Simon Peter and John, and they run 
to the tomb after they hear the news from Mary that the, somebody had taken the body of Jesus. And when they get there, John stays on outside the tomb. And we don't know exactly why. Maybe as he glanced in, maybe he saw the linen clothes there. Or maybe he didn't want to defile the body of Jesus. But all we know is that when he got there, he stood there. And Simon Peter, being who Simon Peter is, kind of the guy who just reacts, doesn't think, but just reacts. Simon Peter ran past John into the tomb. And then John decided it was his turn to go in. But here's one of those amazing things. I'd read this passage of scripture, just like many of you, hundreds of times. But something caught my eye when I read it this time. And just like the person of Jesus, why in the world would Jesus, after he'd accomplished everything he accomplished, decide to stay for 40 days? I had another question from this passage. Why in the world in his glorified body, his resurrected body, would Jesus have taken the time to take his headpiece that he was buried in, take it and fold it neatly and lay it to the side? Why would Jesus do that? What would be the significance to that? Because as John entered the tomb, it says he saw. That word saw literally means to see with the mind, to perceive, literally to know. And then it says he believed. It's an ancient Greek word that means to understand and to understand or perceive the significance of. And in other words, John knew immediately when he saw that headpiece folded neatly off to the side what that meant. See, back in biblical days, the folded linen meant something. So if you had a dinner, let's just say, at your house back in biblical days, and you took the napkin and you put it in your lap. You unfolded it and put it in your lap. And you ate your meal. They would have servants back then who would stay in the background and they would observe. And they would serve. And if I decided back then that I was going to get up from my place. And if I took my napkin and I took it and I watered it up and I put it on top of the plate like that. And then went away. The servant would have known that because of that cloth, I wasn't coming back. I was done eating my meal, and I wouldn't be back. But if I had taken that napkin and folded it neatly and put it beside my plate, it would let that servant know that I was coming back, that I was not done. And so when John saw that linen cloth laid there, Jesus did that on purpose so that John would know and he believed that Jesus was alive, that he had come back from the dead. John knew, and that's why it says there in verse 8, that he believed. That word believe is also the same word in John three sixteen that whosoever believes in him should not perish. That light bulb went off in John's life, and he understood. When I was at the Citadel, my college that I went to, um, I'll never forget, we had our first Saturday morning inspection. Now, for you of those who've never been to a military college, it may not mean much to you, but back then it was fear and trepidation for us who were freshmen. We were told that our rooms had to be spotless, that we would have upperclassmen come into our rooms and they would literally take white gloves. And literally they did this in my room. This guy came in with white gloves and he went to the underside of my bunk bed and took that white glove. And then he showed me that there was dust there. Well, of course there's going to be dust there, right? Well, he gave me demerits for that. 
But I was also told that I had to make my bed a certain way. We had to do hospital corners and it had to be neatly done and the bed had to be made. And he would come in with a quarter and he'd throw that quarter up on top of that bed. And if it didn't bounce so many inches, uh, you got more demerits. And sure enough, it didn't bounce too many inches for me and I got more demerits. But the significance of that made bed at the Citadel, what it meant was it had meaning. It meant that when I made that bed in the morning and I made that bed every morning before I went off to school, Every morning I made that bed, it was a symbol, it was to say that I wasn't getting back in there until everything I had, had to accomplish that day was done. And when it was all done, I'd get back in that bed. Well, the same, through was whole, the same thing held true for that linen cloth that Jesus left there for John. I want us to think for just a minute of what had transpired in the last several days. Jesus tells his disciples that one of them would betray him. Jesus is betrayed and then he's erect, arrested. Peter denies that he even knew Jesus. Jesus is sentenced to death and the disciples begin to fear for their own lives. Jesus, their leader and teacher, is crucified and he's buried in this tomb. Their whole world and everything in it, everything they had sacrificed for the last three years, was gone. Just like that. They had to have questions that they really couldn't answer at that time. Questions like, what do we do now? Questions like, what, what, what could have, how could this have happened to, this, to, to Jesus, our leader? Man, we actually saw him literally raise the dead. How could this happen to him? And I'm sure they asked the question, well, this, the Jews who came to take Jesus away and crucify him, will they come for me? That was next. See, Jesus rose from the dead and spent the next 40 days really to do one thing. And that was to prepare his disciples. So that they could carry out this message of hope. His resurrection. That he was alive to the rest of the world. So in John chapter 20 and 21. I see four things that Jesus did to prepare his disciples. So that they would not grow weary and lose heart. But literally they would stay strong and would take this message of the resurrected Jesus to a lost and dying world. These four things are actually for us today. That resurrection of Jesus and his 40 days that was there gave the disciples this conviction to keep on fighting. Look in verse 19 of chapter 20. This is what it says. In the evening of that first day of the week, so that Sunday night, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because of their fear of the Jews. Then Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, peace to you. It's the shortest pep talk in the history of mankind. Peace to you, verse 20. Having said this, he showed them his hands and he showed them his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Literally, the disciples thrived. They came to life when they saw the Lord. Their spirits were lifted and they understood they were still in the game. Our Savior, our Lord, our leader is still alive. You know, when I think about Jesus coming into that room and how startled they must have been and his pep talk, peace to you, had to mean a lot. See, you fight through fear. That's what we do. That's what the disciples were going to have to do. They were going to have to fight through fear. You know, this pandemic that we have been in, it's created fear across this world. 
and rightly so. Our elderly, those who are most vulnerable to this disease, you know, it's amazing when you think about some of the nursing homes that, that have been impacted and just devastated because of this disease. We have to fight through fear. Some of you have lost your jobs along the way. You've been furloughed. I have a niece, and, and, and my niece, Whitney, she, she's a flight attendant for Delta Airlines, and she's been furloughed during this time because they've shut down all these flights. You may have lost a job along the way. We fight through fear. That's what we do. Jesus was reminding his disciples to hang in there and to keep fighting along the way. You fight through disappointment and you fight through failure. We do this all the time. Sometimes we do it better than others, but Jesus is reminding his disciples that you're going to have disappointment and you're going to have failure along the time, along the line, and you still keep fighting through it. I mean, think about the apostle Peter and the failure that he had. He denied his Lord and Savior before he went to the cross. So you fight through fear and you fight through this disappointment and failure and you fight through trials. We know in James chapter one, it says, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. You fight. The disciples needed to know, they need to have this conviction in their heart to continue to fight along the way because that's what fighters do. They fight. I'm reminded of a story in the Old Testament and here's the Moses and the nation of Israel and, and they have gone out of Egypt and they were trying to find their way to the promised land and, and it came time for Moses to die and somebody else to take the reins and this is what it, God tells Joshua in Joshua 1.9. He says, haven't I commanded you be strong and be courageous? Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It'd be like a huddle. And there you are, you're basketball team, you're in a huddle, it's a timeout, and, and things don't look good. And you've had disappointment along the way and failure along the way. Maybe you fear that you're going to lose this game. It's like this huddle, and, and God comes into the huddle, and he looks at the team, and he says, Moses, man, I know you've been an all-star, a five-time all-star. You've been an MVP. You're going to be in the Hall of Fame, but Moses, you're going to have to take a seat. Joshua, rookie over here, future Hall of Famer, Joshua, you don't know it yet. You're a future Hall of Fame. Joshua, you have to get in the game. You can't be as scared. You can't be fearful. You, you can't even fear uh, failing at this point in time. We need you. And what did Joshua do? He jumped in the game. He led the people to the promised land. Because my God is with us wherever we go. Jesus is acting like a coach to his disciples and he acts like a coach to us trying to convince his team, his disciples, that they weren't done. That even death itself would not and could not defeat them. That they had everything right in front of them to pursue and accomplish. That Jesus is everything that they needed. And by the way, I want us to know today that Jesus is everything that we need. All they had to do and all we have to do is keep on fighting. Just keep fighting along the way. So this resurrected Jesus gave them conviction to keep on fighting. But number two, he gave them a restoration to keep on living. Hey, listen, don't we all need to be restored just every now and then? Just a little bit of that? The definition of restore is this. It's to bring back or to repair or renovate to its original condition. 
Now, I don't know about you, but during this pandemic, um, some of us kind of binge watch when we have time. And one of the places I discovered on my own, nobody told me about this, is on HDTV. I don't even know what those, those initials mean. But on HDTV, I found this program called Home, I'm sorry, it's called um, uh, Home, My Hometown. My Hometown. Ben and Aaron are the stars of this, and they're a great couple, a cute couple. Ben is a former pastor's kid. Uh, they met in college, and what they do is they renovate homes. I mean, they literally take homes, and this is in Laurel, Mississippi. And I, it, it got to the point where I wanted to move to Laurel, Mississippi just to have them renovate one of their homes for me. They take these old, dilapidated homes. I mean, homes that you and I probably would never say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to live in that home. They take these homes, and what they do is they bring them back to life. They give these old homes life again. In fact, I think even in their promo, it says, old homes have beauty. You just can't see it yet. We need to keep on living. Sometimes we need to be restored so that we can keep on living. You know, I don't know a lot about um, God. I mean, I think I know sometimes because I've been doing this for a long, long time. But it says in the scripture that his ways are above our ways. And because of that, there's only something that, so, you know, this little bit of finite knowledge that I have about this infinite God. So there's a lot about him I don't. His ways are above my ways. But one thing I do know about God is that he restores. I mean, he sent his son Jesus really to do one thing. And that was to restore you and restore me to the heavenly father. When I look at this passage of scripture of chapters 20 and 21 of these 40 days of Jesus, there's several characters in here that needed to be restored. One was, was Mary. So here's Mary, and she finds the tomb empty, and she goes and tells the disciples, and the disciples come. And I'm sure Mary and her friends, we know that she came back to the tomb. And in verse 16, while she's there looking for Jesus and questioning what's going on, that somebody had stolen the body of Jesus, Jesus appears to Mary, and he says these words, Mary, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni which means teacher. When Mary heard the familiar voice of the shepherd, she knew exactly who it was. See, for Mary, restoration was assurance. She needed this assurance that Jesus was still alive and nobody had taken his body. For Mary, that restoration was assurance. For Thomas, that restoration was faith. Look in chapter 20, verses 27 and 28. It says, then he said to Thomas, Jesus did, put your finger here and observe my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be an unbeliever, but a believer. And Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas needed this restoration of faith in his life. Peter, what was his? Peter's restoration was purpose. We know the story in chapter 21 where Jesus meets his disciples. He's on the shoreline there in the Sea of Galilee. And, and, his, and, and, and Peter and some of the disciples were out in the boat and they were fishing. And 
as soon as Peter recognized who Jesus was, Peter came to the shore. And we know the story of how Jesus restored Peter by asking him three times, Peter, do you love me? And Jesus' response was, hey, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, shepherd my sheep. And that's what Jesus told him in verse 17 of chapter 21. He says, Peter, feed my sheep. And then in verse 19, he says, Peter, all I want you to do is follow me. See, Jesus knew that Peter loved him. He knew that. Peter needed to know that Jesus trusted him. See, Peter had denied him. Peter needed to know that he still had purpose in this game. He still had purpose as this disciple. He needed to know that Jesus still trusted him for Peter. Restoration was purpose. And for the disciples as a whole, restoration was just simply hope. Verse 24 of chapter 21, it says, This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. It's true. The disciples needed to have this hope going forward that it's all true. Let me ask you a question. If you could fill in that blank, for you, restoration is what? Is it faith? Is it purpose? Maybe your restoration is peace. Maybe you need genuine peace in your life. Maybe your restoration is love today. Maybe your restoration is forgiveness. Maybe your restoration is you need a new beginning. I want you to know that Jesus is in the business of restoring us. So we keep on fighting. We keep on living. And number three, there is instruction. Jesus gave them instruction to keep on growing. Acts 1.1 says, I wrote the, the first narrative. Luke is writing. He says, I wrote the first narrative, Theopolis, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. Jesus was not done teaching his disciples, growing them up in the faith so that when he was gone, when he ascended to heaven, that they knew what their mission was and they were equipped for it. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, a verse most of us know, that that scripture is good for teaching and rebuking, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that you and I, so that these disciples can be equipped, that they're complete and equipped to go out and carry out the mission that Jesus has given us. Jesus instructed his disciples during his three plus years with them with scripture. Luke 24 verse verse 45 says, then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus used the scriptures to teach his disciples. Jesus used leadership to instruct his disciples. In Matthew 4, Jesus tells these first disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus used leadership to encourage and to continue to grow his disciples. And he also used instruction to keep on growing with purpose. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus designed us as a follower of his to bear fruit, that I would have purpose in this life, just like you have purpose in this life. He instructed his disciples with scripture, with leadership, and with purpose. Let me say this bold statement to you. If you are not being instructed, 
through the word of God, through the word of the living God that gives life, then you are being instructed by this world that leads to death. If you're not immersing yourself in the living word of God and being instructed by this, if you're not doing that, you're being instructed by this world. And I want you to know, if you're instructed by this world, all it does, it will lead to death in your life. It will lead to death. So we have this from Jesus, this conviction to keep on fighting. And we have this restoration to keep on living. And we have this, com- this instruction to keep on growing. But number four, in my last point, Jesus gave them a commission to keep on going. There's three passages of scripture I'll read and then we're going to conclude this message. There in John chapter 20, verse 21, while he has his disciples around him, he said to them again, peace to you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. Matthew 28, again, in John chapter 20, Matthew 28 in a second, Acts 1.8. These are all after he had rose from the dead. And it's during those 40 days that he shared this commissioning with his disciples to encourage them. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, we know it says, Then Jesus came near to them and he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Then in Acts 1.8, we see this beautiful picture of Jesus getting ready to be ascended to the clouds, back to his Father. And his last instruction to his disciples were these words, but you... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem, in all Judea, in all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus was commissioning his disciples during this time that they had purpose. Just like you and I have purpose today, we have been commissioned the same way. So think about it. As followers of Jesus, we keep on fighting We keep on living. We keep on growing. And listen, we keep on going. That's what we do. Now, here's the question for us. So practically, what does this living on mission, practically, how do we keep his mission, the mission of Christ, and our mission, this mission for us to go and to make disciples of this world, to make a difference, to make an impact that will last for eternity for Jesus' sake, How do we keep on doing this? This is what I want to do today. I'm going to bring up Corey Elliott. Corey, I want you to come on up here. Why don't you bring a chair? I'm going to get on this side of the table, and you get on that one. Now, for those of you who may not know or may not have seen him yet, this is Corey Elliott. And uh, Corey is our newest addition to our staff. He's our new student pastor. And we're so excited about having Corey with us, Um, not just to be on our staff and not just to work with our teenagers along the way, but I mean just his heart, uh, Missy, his wife. We're so excited about having them being part of our team and being creative with us, figuring out new ways in which to do things. So, Corey, I want you to know thank you for being here today, and it's great to have you. For sure. Yeah, glad to be here. Well, let's talk about you and I. Let's just have this short dialogue about what it means, practically speaking, of ways that we can still engage this world when we have to be six feet apart, when we're not gathering like this how do, we, how do we do that? And, and if you would, 
from a teenager's perspective, I want you to help teenagers, because by the way, we know that, that teenagers are probably, maybe in a way, having a lot harder time than we are, sure. um, because they're cooped up. I mean, I mean, we were teenagers once, yeah. me <laughs> yeah. a lot longer ago than you, but we wanted to get out, right? Right. So, so help us with our teenagers in our homes today. How can they practically keep this mission going, even though we've been secluded? Yeah, for sure. I, th- you know, I think that... Um, normally when we think about where we're placed and where we're in our mission fields, I think for maybe an adult, you would say, well, it's probably where I work. Or for a student, you'd probably say, well, it's where I go to school. And all that has changed. You know, whether some of you guys maybe still are going to work, but students are definitely not in school right now. And, and I think a lot of our students view their schools as their mission fields. It's really easy to say, oh, I know, I know lost people. I have lost friends there. And I think that, you know, in this time, if you've ever wanted to go on a family mission trip, really now you're on a family mission trip. And if you view your neighborhood that way, I think that, you know, for our students, if we can really view our neighborhoods in that way, practically um, what we would do is serve. That's what you do on a mission trip. If you're on a mission trip, if you've ever been on a mission trip, you would serve the people that you're around and you would also, um, you know, engage people. And I think that that mission is the same, just like you were talking about that. That's why we stay on mission uh, is doing that. I, yeah. I would just say, I think that's fantastic. I think along those lines, it's one thing, I remember the old days when my dad used to say, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Dad, if you're listening, I remember those words way back when, <laughs> uh, and I know you're listening. But I, I think here, and this is something like this, I think for families, parents need to lead the way here, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And not just tell your teenagers, hey, figure out a way to reach your, your friends. For sure. Parents need to lead the way as well. Absolutely. I think, you know, our parents are our chief disciple makers in the home. And so as much as, you know, we can have our students be here at church or, or uh, you know, even hear from you or me or, um, yeah, our, our parents definitely need to lead the way in that for sure. Um, so I'm going to talk about just a couple things I think adults yeah. can do. And then what I want you, I want you to piggyback, okay? Absolutely. And you interrupt me anytime. If you've got okay. a question, you just, you just jump in here. <laughs> Sounds good. So one of the things I think we as, as families can do, especially adults, is we can check on our neighbors, right? Yeah. They live beside us. Most of, hopefully, you've gotten to know your neighbors during this pandemic, you know, from the yard. Because we're all doing things in our homes and, and outside of our homes. But to be that living example of the hands and feet of Christ with our neighbors. So checking on them regularly. Maybe even uh, be creative. Play Christian music because I know in our neighborhood everybody walks now. Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing people I haven't seen before. I think part of it's because nobody wears makeup anymore. You know, they just <laughs> right. get up and go and I don't really know who those, those, those ladies are. But they're walking in the neighborhood. Maybe we can play Christian music, right? Yeah. As they walk through. What's some other ways sure. that maybe as families we could check on our neighbors? Yeah, I think, I think you know, like I, like I said, just, just serving. And so I think seeing those opportunities, maybe for a student that's um, young and able and like, hey, I'm going to mow our lawn anyways, they see a need and see a need in their neighborhood and say, man, that, that guy's grass is, is tall. Let me just like say, hey, I'll, I'll mow your grass. That's an easy way. Some of our students, even this week, are going to be serving some of the people in our church by helping clean out their gutters. Like, it's just amazing to already see our students doing that. Right. And uh, I think, you know, seeing those service opportunities, because if you just open your eyes, they're all around you. Right. Um, I think practically for students as well is just being able to engage through social media and through um, technology. And, you know, there's probably a lot of ways that a lot of our students play video games with each other and get to check in. And I know some of our you know, our adults might say, that's not like, you know, not real community. But honestly, some of our students are finding community 
through video games and they're on the headsets and they're hanging out and they're talking and they are uh, engaging and playing together just as much as they would be playing outside. I think, um, you know, you can even engage through uh, social media. It's like Snapchat, you know, to keep your streaks alive, students. What if, what would it look like if you, uh, you kept your snack, snap streaks alive by sending a Bible verse that you're reading in Scripture in the morning? And if adults, if you have no clue what that is, ask a student yeah. and they'll tell you what a snap streak is. But um, yeah, I think those are some yeah. simple, practical ways. We get scared when we talk about like technology as mm-hmm. adults, especially my age. And we're not quite sure how to use it, but, you know, practical things could be that you do a one minute, you, know, you take your phone and literally you take a recording of yourself, maybe a one minute testimony of how you met Jesus, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then just send it out there and, and who knows who's going to listen, read it or whatever, but, you know, challenge your friends uh, for adults even to do the same thing, to take a one minute video of, of coming to know Jesus and maybe even uh, what Jesus is teaching us through this time, right? To be encouraging sure. to other people and, and to be there for them. Would you say yeah. anything else to teenagers or families that, from your perspective, yeah. Corey, that would say, hey, listen, let's do this. Yeah, if I would just kind of encourage you with this, is that, man, students are not our future leaders, they're our current leaders. That students can, can be on the front of this and can be serving and be just as active and just as um, used by the Lord in this time uh, as adults can. It may be even more so with their platforms and the people that they can reach through a social media age right now or a time that we're in. And so just to encourage you guys that, man, students, you guys can lead, be bold, be courageous, um, as scripture would tell us, and that you can have an impact uh, for our world, uh, for Jesus in this time. Amen. Yeah. Corey, thank you so much, brother. I appreciate appreciate that. You know, as as Corey was sharing just about the impact that we can have and the ways we can do it, I'll be honest with you, when this all started, it wasn't doomsday. It wasn't one of those things for me. It was more of a you know, how are we going to do this? You know, what's the right answer? And I want you to know, y'all, I shared this with our staff many times, and I'll share it with you. I don't know if there is necessarily a right answer. It's, it's like, you know, how do we do certain things? I really don't care. Let's just go do it. Let's figure it out as we go. And I think one thing we've learned through this, and church family, thank you so much. We have learned that literally we can reach more people today, right now. There will be more people who listen to this and watch this broadcast than we would have sitting in this room. I mean, think about that. Now, we're not going to do away with this campus and people coming back, but I want you to know that God can use this in great and mighty ways. So why wouldn't we find out new ways to take this gospel of Jesus? Listen, he spent the last 40 days on this earth doing one thing. That was preparing his disciples to change the world. Why would I let that go to waste? You know, listen, we have a responsibility today to do the same thing. And I want you to think about this. There's going to come a day, we know in Scripture, that the trumpet will sound, and every knee and every tongue, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And he's coming back to take his church. And church, I want you to know that you have people around you who don't know Jesus And that folded linen cloth that was left there for for John that was folded, I want you to know when Jesus comes back to take his church home, that's it. There's no more second chances. There's no more opportunity to say, Jesus, I want to believe in you. I want that eternal life you promised. Because when he comes back the next time to take his church home, that linen cloth is going to be folded up like this. It's not going to be folded. It's going to be watered up and it's like that. And it's going to be a picture that he's not coming back again, that he's done, and we will be in heaven with him as a church. But there's a lot of folks around us who don't know that. 
So if you're watching today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you say to yourself, you know what, Rick? I need to know him today because who knows what tomorrow will bring. I'm going to ask you to do something very simple with me. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. You know, I, heard, I saw that Franklin Graham did this on TV the other day, national TV, and I was so impressed. He literally led people to the Lord through a prayer on TV. And I want you to know right now, if you don't know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, I ask you to pray this prayer in your heart. It's not your words, it's your heart. Pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I don't know everything I need to know, but Lord, I know that you went to a cross 2,000 years ago to do one thing, and that was to die for me. You took my sin and you went to the cross. And Lord Jesus, I know that According to the scriptures, you were buried, and three days later, you rose again. There are eyewitnesses, Lord Jesus, of you being alive. Today, I put my trust in you and you alone. You showed me grace at the cross, and that grace is sufficient for me. Lord Jesus, I commit my life to you. I give my life to you so that, Lord Jesus, you would be magnified and glorified. We love you and we thank you and thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life, for forgiving my sin and to make me a new creature in Jesus' name.